0: Welcome to the Power Players by Orgis, featuring solar and energy storage leaders and their critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise. My name is Cynthia Khatib. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. All right, welcome to the next episode uh, of Power Players by Orgis. It's a podcast focused on you know the major players in the power industry specifically renewables and sort of grappling with the issues of the day so today i'm really lucky we're joined by john franzino ceo of grid S, grid sme sorry i almost said it wrong john based on you know he he may seem a little unlikely to be discussing cybersecurity he's the ceo you know but before getting into this role you know, John was on Gridsme's NERC compliance team and and led that for some number of years. He was a compliance engineer, developing, implementing, and managing NERC SIP compliance programs. And and John, you'll have to tell everybody what that means uh, here later. Uh, but he did it for a lot of different utilities, renewable power producers, and, and so forth. And so in 2017, John completed his master's in cybersecurity operations and leadership from the University of San Diego, and and then started as Gridsme's Managed Cybersecurity Services Division known as Grid Security, one of the many fantastic services that Grid SME offers to this industry. So John, you know, you're an expert in this field. This is a hot topic. Uh, welcome to Power Players. Yeah, thanks,
1: Mike. Uh, looking forward to it. And thanks again for having us. Um, Yeah, and it's kind of maybe seem weird right now talking to the CEO about cybersecurity. And we haven't been just involved in a major breach because these days we're hearing from all the CEOs after they've been breached um, talking about cybersecurity in front of Senate and all of that. Um, But obviously, cybersecurity across every industry vertical, but particularly the electric uh, sector right now and renewables larger and larger role in that it's becoming a huge business risk. Um, for every type of organization, shape and size out there. Um, so, you know, I always tell folks that we got to move away from the technology discussion that surrounds cybersecurity, and it's got to become a, you know, board level, um, you know, C- executive C-suite discussion about business risk management. So, it's just another area of risk we all collectively need to manage.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And and you know, to sort of frame the discussion you know i i accuse myself often of not being the smartest guy in the room and so i like to go big to small to make sure that while we're talking about these things they're in context you know it's and so let talk to me a little bit about what's happening in the broader world right we're seeing ransomware attacks we're we're seeing reports about uh you know the the threat against our scada systems and and sort of trying to characterize that you know, in the G7 seven summit last week, this was a specific topic of discussion uh, and, and I think and one that got fairly heated. And so, you know, looking at politics and everything else aside, this is a persistent and growing issue. But I think it's also one that most people aren't terribly aware of. So talk to me a little bit about what's happening in the world and how it applies to energy, the energy sector and renewables in particular.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as with any large risk or changing um, environment, there's a confluence of factors coming together, Um, you know, across every industry and we'll get specific to electric industry a second. Obviously last decade, two decades, we've had an explosion of interconnected, um, you know, technologies, communications between systems, interoperability between um, large scale systems. Um, And so that's, that's one driving uh, force behind this changing threat. The, The other driving force is, The fact that um, the criminal hackers out there, because this is what I really want to make sure folks realize, and I think it's becoming public knowledge with the Colonial Pipeline um, and some other high uh, profile ransomware cases recently, but this is a business. It's another business enterprise. I I really, I'll coin it as, you know, kind of the third iteration of modern um, organized crime. You know, started with the mafia, you got the second, you got the cartels. Now you have the ransomware gangs. And so what's really changed, and we're seeing this hockey stick uptick in, you know, threats and real impact to businesses is that until the advent of ransomware, um, you know, let's call it about five or so years ago, when it really started going, um, the criminal hackers, they had to figure out a way to monetize their attacks. So that meant, you know, stealing financial data. Um, you know, personal identifiable information that they could go sell on the black web um, to you know go steal per- people identities, credit cards, right It was all directly tied to uh, monetizing that attack. Um, and so that kept their focus relatively narrow, right They were going after healthcare they're going after the banks, right those industries where they could directly monetize those attacks. And then ransomware comes along and they figure out a way to be able to monetize an attack really on any industry because they realize, well, even if this information isn't valuable to the rest of the world, the information that every business has is extremely valuable to themselves. Um, And if we can get them, uh, lock them out of their business data, they're probably willing to pay for that and advent or ransomware. Um, And so when we look at, and I want to tie this back specifically to the electric sector, um, you know, electric sector, you know, my opinion, we're five, 10 years behind healthcare and finance industries when it comes to cybersecurity because until the advent of ransomware, we were kind of, we weren't being targeted and beat over the head by the criminal hackers. They didn't figure out how to monetize an attack on the electric grid. Now, with that said, we still always had the far right side of the threat spectrum, the more sophisticated side, which is the nation state threat, the nation state hackers. That's always been alive and real uh, for the electric grid, but there's other forces at play there that are keeping those threats at at bay right there's geopolitical forces um, and all of that so but now ransomware we can monetize or the criminals can monetize an attack on any industry so we see a huge uptick across every sector but specifically SCADA uh, environments and of course then we have the nation state threat when it comes to our our critical infrastructure and the electric grid that is getting a lot of attention right now um, that needs to be mitigated
0: Yeah, so this is where, you know, business and geopolitics sort of intersects, right? I mean, you you mentioned the nation-state threat and sort of the hackers as this separate sort of threat. But it's my understanding there's also quite a lot of sort of government sponsor, gray or black government sponsorship of non-nation-state actors. Because the view is, look, if I can sort of, you know, help to fund, you know, a criminal activity that nonetheless has... An effect as a nation that is beneficial to me as a nation state against one of my competitors, I accomplish two things. One, I continue to keep them unstable, and we can talk about how they're they're at risk, which forces them to spend money, forces them to respond, forces a, whole, a lot of other issues. Right. Um, the other thing it does is is frankly, if you're paying the guys to mess with other people, they're not messing with you. So, so talk to me a little bit about that because it, it may be that I misunderstand that, but it, it to me it seems that sort of that clear separation is not really true. It's really, it's really there's a there's really a blending across criminal activity and and state non-state and state actors that's occurring today. Is is that right?
1: Yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It's as you already touched on. Some of these criminal hacker organizations have such close ties to the countries they're operating out of, um, that even if that country isn't sponsoring them directly, you know, now we're getting to the discussion of if they're allowing them to operate in a safe harbor and do those types of activities out out of that country, and also we know, to your point, they are specifically not targeting anyone that's affiliated with their country. Um, very interesting side tangent here is one of the mitigating techniques out there right now for some variants of ransomware, the one that hit Colonial Pipeline, is to enable the Russian keyboard on your, on your servers and your computer. Because one of the checks they run is to see if the Russian language is found on the computer. And if it is, they won't proceed with that attack. Right. And so you can see that all the you know, to your point, you, you can't really decouple the two. But where you can decouple the two is what's the motive? What's the end objective? Um, right. And when you look at the kind of the threat spectrum on the far left side, unsophisticated, you have the, the script kiddies or the people on the Internet that are just doing things for fun, for learning, but they can still damage things. Then the middle, you got criminal hackers. They want to make money. That's their goal. And then you have the nation states and the terrorist threat. Right, And so that's where we can kind of draw the line between the two, is what's the motive? Are they looking just to get you know, the ransom uh, and the money? Or are they looking to actually take down what's uh, the business, sorry, the motive of taking down the business or the industry? And that's what we're seeing right now with uh, the Pulse Secure issue going on in the electric grid and other sectors, is that China is specifically targeting organizations with that vulnerability, that Pulse Secure vulnerability. Um, that are in industries that are part of China's, you know, 2040 plan or or whatever it's called, right? And so now to your point, we can't decouple the two anymore. They're coming after and they're going and trying to specifically target our industry verticals where they're looking to get a step ahead um, by exploiting these types of vulnerabilities that are present on the internet.
0: Well, I certainly hope uh, nobody listens too closely to this on the adversary side and sneaks in and changes my keyboard to Russian or Chinese or I'm gonna (laughs) have a really hard time. So hopefully that doesn't occur, but, you know, let's talk about what you just said there a moment ago for, for just a second. You, you you were sort of talking about, you know, the need to, you know, certain industries that they're targeting. So why target renewables?
1: Because uh, it's part of our critical infrastructure. Um, so I guess it's twofold, right? One is targeting renewables because they're another industry that, like every other industry that's willing to pay a ransom if their data is locked out or threatened to be leaked out to the public, and then two, because the electric grid is arguably the most critical industry we have, because all other critical verticals rely on electricity, right? And so, when we look at a nation-state threat from, uh, you know, national security perspective, electric grid is the focus, um, both for the good guys and the bad guys.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It also occurs to me, you know, that when you look at countries like China who own 70% of the supply chain for power electronics. They own something like 80 plus percentage of the supply chain for uh, silicon, lithium, things like that, that go into batteries, you know, renewable architecture. Okay. And they have expressed specifically that renewables, solar in particular, is a national, of national interest. You know, that is, that, that's something they subsidize as a country. They take it very far sort of view on making sure that they're going to be a world leader in that space and that they have control of the supply chain and sort of dealing with those supply chain uh uh uh, risk areas is, is a whole other podcast we're not going to get into that one today uh but but it does come around to the other point that you made i i think which is that not only are you attacking an adversary through these gray or black players, if not overtly as a nation state, that's helping you learn the weaknesses of that. You're capturing those lessons learned, sort of putting those in the bank if you ever need them. And on top of it, you're, you're weakening an adversary while strengthening your position in something that you have a national interest in making sure that you control. So this is really, in my view, based on what you're saying and a little bit that I know about it, it seems like this is really a multifaceted strategy that's complex and broad. And very thought through. This is not the actions of a bunch of random, uh, you know, criminals. Who this is well organized. Is that is that accurate to say it that? I mean, is that a good assumption? Uh,
1: yeah. So I think you made two good points in there. Is one, there's there's multiple factors and reasons why the electric grid and renewables are a target right now. Um, there's a multitude of factors. No, and it's, yeah, it's certainly not random. And one good example um, that I really harped on as a learning lesson for for everyone with the Colonial Pipeline attack and the organization that was behind it, DarkSide, is really touching on the business uh, aspect of it and just their structure and they're well organized. You know, this is called ransomware as a service. They have a web page, or at least they did. They had ethics on their web page about who would <laughs> target. Guitar- no, they literally have an ethics. It's awesome. Um, They have an ethics section about who they're targeting, who they will not target, what their rules of engagement are. They say part of that ethics page is that they look at your financial data to make sure that the ransom they're going to request from you does not put you out of business because that is bad for their business. Right. Because if you're at that level of ransom, well, then I just, you know, chapter 11, shut my doors. I won't pay the ransom. Right. But they make it and they put in a range where you can pay it and you're more likely to pay it. They have job postings for network engineers uh, and pen testers. Um, So it is really, that's why I said earlier that this is, you know, V3 of modern organized crime, as far as I'm concerned. These are not random guys or girls in their mother's basement. Um, These are organized criminals working in a concerted matter um, to target um, these uh, industries. And like you said, the electric industry is being targeted both from that monetary perspective, just pure monetary, but it's also from the nation state and reconnaissance and learning perspective. And that's and that's one important aspect, I think, of current cybersecurity times, if folks need to know, is that um, ransomware is kind of easy because they get in and they will encrypt your data. You know you've just been ransomware. It's hard because you got to you know unpack all of that and figure out, am I going to pay the ransom? How do I get my systems back online? But it's easy because it's blatantly obvious you've just been compromised. Um, the other side of the coin is... These bad actors, and especially this is much more prevalent with the nation states, um, when their motive is, you know, na- impacting national security, is they get in, and they be as quiet as possible for as long as possible. Because to your point, they're learning, they're seeing how our system works. Um, I mean, there, there's releases from, you know, the DoD um, and ICS uh, CERT, and, you know, back in 2018, 2019, we know that Russia was in our utility corporate networks. Um, like we know they were there and that that's when it gets tough when they're go- so good at hiding and being quiet is that even if you catch them there we didn't know that they're still not there we know that they were there but we can't confirm that they're not there anymore right and that's
0: a uncomfortable situation to be in it's like it's like trying to get fleas out of your house exactly yeah did i get them i don't know we'll find out you know yeah. I mean, that's one of those things right you it's hard to validated. It's interesting what you say, you know, it's, and I think this is something that people should really take from this and take to heart, right? These are well-organized, well-funded, focused professionals. I, I, you know, and the nation states benefit not only from direct, directly, either having direct entities that do it as a nation state level, or by providing, you know, money or just safe harbor. right, And that safe harbor in and of itself ensures that state-level sponsorship. But it also enables one other thing that's critical, which is deniability. So that when you go to them and you say, hey, these guys, and we'll use Darkseid as an example. Love the name, by the way, from DC Comics or anybody else who's a comics (laughs) guy out there. But take the big bad out of DC Comics and you throw your name on a company and you're probably not doing anything good in the world. right? But when you go after those guys and you go to... Russia or whomever, where they're providing safe harbor, and you say, what are you doing about them? And they say, it's not us. These are criminals. We're not doing this. These are, these are bad actors. We're, you know, we're Russia or we're China or we're whomever. We would never do these things, right? But this is, this is that layered sort of strategy, which enables not only gain on their part, but also deniability, right? Which yeah. I think is key. So, when we're faced with all of this, you know, you guys are the experts. You know, uh, you really, really are. You're here because you're literally the subject matter, matter experts. It's actually in your name. It's on your shirt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as a company in this space, we're we're managing all these assets, and and for other people out there who are doing the same or who are worried about this, what do you do? Start with the fundamentals. Um
1: and so before i get into the exactly what you do I, I think it's important to make sure that we don't use any of the past excuses so to speak um where i'm just a solar site right i'm too small why would somebody target me and what you know the, the first step that we have to educate um you know our customers in the industry on is okay let me ask you this question uh are you connected to the internet can i remotely access and or an authorized uh, personnel remotely access your facility? The answer, yes. Do you have used cloud services? Well, good. So now you at least, even if you don't believe you're targeted and you're not special, okay, cool. We'll put that to the side. Well, that by being connected to the internet, it means you need to do a few fundamental things to protect yourself from what happens on the internet. Um, and that is, you know, starting with knowing what you have out there, especially what's connected to the internet, right? So asset inventory. Um, that means understanding my internet facing exposure because all day long, before we even talk about, you know, these organized criminals and humans working on the bad guy side, there are other computers out there that are working for the bad guys. They're called bots. Um, so they're out there on the internet, scanning other devices visible from the internet all day long to figure out, is there a vulnerability here? If so, could I do something interesting with this? Can I sell this remote access uh, capability on the dark web to somebody else, um, right? So there are these very basic controls to put in place to really just not be the slowest one running from the bear on the internet. Because you know, firewalls and other internet facing devices, they are hit with you know, between 100,000 and a million uh, att- uh, connection attempts every day of people trying to find, you know, or devices on the internet, trying to find out vulnerabilities that are present on that system. To then go take action on them potentially. Um, And so, the other thing I always say when we start talking about where do I start is also not just looking at that starting place as purely cybersecurity related. Um, You know, and it seems weird, right? Because we perform managed security services, and I say, you know what, don't even worry about security at first. Um, Because a lot of these fundamental controls that we would implement, you know, those first five controls inventory management, access management, vulnerability management, and patch management, right? Um, Those controls also play a direct role in supporting operations, right? And so I also say if you're not worried about an attack, even though you're connected to the Internet, okay, do you ever have trouble with your ISP, your cell modem, or network problems at your site? Or what happens when you have a hardware failure of a server, right? Because these servers are out there in control buildings that get you know, a quarter inch of dust on them in you know, six months time. That, that hardware wasn't designed to operate in that environment. And So even if it was a perfect, hermetically sealed uh, server room, that hardware still has a lifespan of, let's call it five to eight years, right? And so do you have good backups of your system, right? What happens when that hardware failure occurs? Right, so those are the fundamental controls we focus on so that you get a, du- a, a dual benefit, you get a direct operational benefit so that there's a return there from those controls and those capabilities, even if you never experience a breach um, or even if you block every attempted breach, right? Um, because there's so much, I think there's such a lack in attention and rigor on the system and network management um, at these sites. There's an unfortunate Kind of predisposition by the industry that we configure a server we configure some firewalls we throw them out in the field and they're going to work for the next 30 years they don't require any care and feeding like your inverters do um nobody needs to monitor them and they're just going to work that's not reality because um, we have network problems all the time even when you configure the network you know perfectly um and then
0: you're right telling me that hardware breaks sometimes
1: no. It does. No, no, how is that possible? That can't possibly
0: be true. That's not right.
1: a the bottle. I'm not know, playing. Right. It how do, how did we get there? You guys know in the industry <laughs> that every other component out there needs preventative and reactive maintenance, right? Every We build it into budgets. We have dedicated technicians to, to manage it. But then we get to the brains of the operation, You know, the network and the SCADA system making all the decisions. Um, and it seems like nobody understands or is really giving the level of attention that's needed, that that system needs care and feeding and monitoring too. And you're gonna need to do preventative maintenance and you're gonna have
0: reactive maintenance events as well. So it's interesting, You know, I I was the subject of a ransomware attack some years ago. Unfortunately, I didn't care enough about my data to pay them anything and the computer was so old, I was like, well, I can grab the files that aren't affected and this thing's gonna go in the trash and no. But I read an interesting article which goes to the professionalism of these organizations. Their customer service to help you when you're paying their ransom is actually really good. And they're really polite and nice about it, (laughs) which I I found, uh, I honestly found hilarious on sort of a dark, in a dark humor sort of way. But it's interesting, right? They view themselves, they almost view themselves as a legitimate enterprise. And act as such, and behave as such. they do. And
1: um, so I'm leading the the CIA cybersecurity working group, and so did a presentation last month on the events of colonial. and that this is what I harped on. I, I spent you know three slides showing screenshots of support and the victim, right? It wasn't from the colonial event, but it was from is another dark side event, so the same bad guys behind Colonial. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you can see the message. it set it says support. They're interacting. Yeah. They're negotiating the ransom. Um and it gets funny at times. And there's two humans, right? They're negotiating no. this and they do have customer service channels. You know, it's just interesting. Yeah.
0: I mean honestly, their customer service is enviably responsive. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of funny. Uh not funny, funny, but and scary. I mean, yeah. it's maybe droll would be the correct term. <laughs> well, look, you know, I think there's a number of things that are not understood here. I, you know, we there's a lot of owners and and sort of asset operators and things like that. Talk to me. We have we have three major obligations under NERC, right? NERC generator owner, you know, uh, compliance responsibilities. NERC GOP, which often falls on the operator, and then you have this NERC SIP thing, which which I have to tell you, a vast majority of the time when I interface with owners, people aren't even aware. One, they don't know what it means they don't know what their obligations are. They don't know how to fulfill them. They don't know whose obligations they yep. are to fulfill. Can you can you unpack that a little bit? Because this, is, this directly leads into, you know, the how do you, what do you do, like right? category of conversation, right? What are your SIP, NERC SIP obligations? What do they mean? How do you go about fulfilling those? And what are the, and are there options? Is it just one thing you do or are there different sort of levels that, that people have choices on and how do they look at that? Yeah, I realize that's a lot, but if you can back into it, I'll try to remember what I asked in the event you have, have, yeah. have, have you repeated.
1: repeat I'll, uh, it. I'll, I'll start at the beginning. I'll have to make one small correction and how you kind of laid out the NERC framework. So we actually kind of mixed two different concepts there. So within NERC, there's a functional model, it's called. Yep. Um, and then there's different, ro- and that defines different roles and responsibilities, two of which being a generator owner and a generator operator. Right, generator owners responsible for maintenance of the facility, facility ratings, how it's kind of configured, designed, ongoing upkeep, and the operator obviously is responsible for operating that facility in a safe and reliable manner. Um, And so when we talk about SIP, um, critical infrastructure protection, that's a family of standards within NERC, and the SIP family of standards applies to every functional registration. So if SIP does not discriminate. Doesn't matter if you're a balancing authority, transmission operator, generator operator, generator owner. Everyone has to comply with the SIP uh, requirements. Where SIP differentiates because there are different levels. There's low, medium, and high impact. And so the SIP 2 standard actually walks every entity through how do I go about determining my impact rating. Um, and so for for so the solar industry, um, it's denoted by inclusion I4 in and in, in simple terms. Um, obviously, there's caveats, exceptions, just like any good regulatory framework. But the rule of thumb is, is the generator at the solar site greater than 75 MVA or megawatts operating at a power factor of one? Now, um,
0: to be clear, we're talking about the solar facility, not the the operations center at this in this That's correct, and I'm going to tie them
1: together in here a second. So it all starts at the facility level, because a solar facility or inverter-based resource that is less than 75 megawatts of nameplate capacity is not required to register with NERC. Um, And so when you get above that 75 uh, megawatt threshold, you are required to register that generator with NERC. Upon registering the generator owner with with NERC, you need to know who the generator owner is, and you also need to appoint a registered generator operator. So that's where the operation center comes into play. Um, And I wanna make sure this part is clear because this is where I see the most confusion consistently, is GOP, generator operator, they have their asset, as far as NERC is concerned, is the control center, and they have different reliability functions as defined by the functional model about scheduling outages, communicating with the transmission operator. There, Everything that the generator operator needs to do as far as a NERC compliance standpoint, including SIP, is focused on that control center asset. Um, so when we talk about SIP and we talk about from what's in scope or not, really from your control center firewalls, to anything, any network devices, servers or systems, operator workstations that are behind that control center's firewall network. That is where the generator operator SIP program is focused. That's what's in scope there. That's where you guys need to implement the necessary controls to meet the SIP requirements. Um, That is completely decoupled and separate from what needs to happen at the site. So the generator owner of that site has the same exact Assume uh, same exact SIP requirements, assuming the control center's low impact. And we'll touch on that in a second. the
0: generator owner is literally the site owner. That's correct. Yeah. Just to make, you know, to make sure everybody's clear. Whereas like what we have in our operation centers on us, the owner has responsibility for the site equipment, right? So are you saying in the context that if you're below 75 megawatts, you don't have to worry about any of this? Well, I'm saying you don't have to worry (laughs) about NERF's SIP
1: requirements. (laughs) I would Strongly recommend you worry about the internet and all the threats we talked about out there um, from a business standpoint because when your facility is up and running, regardless of the size, you know, even if it's a half a megawatt, you're making money. When it's not, you're not making money, right? And that's your business. Um, mm-hmm. Or when you have issues, you're unnecessarily rolling trucks halfway across states and you're spending unnecessary money there that's impacting margins, right? So that I would. Uh, definitely recommend and make sure to make the point that the goal here shouldn't be SIP compliance. um, Because especially when we're talking SIP low impact, and I'll I'll get to that designation in a second. It's basically five requirements that do not actually address the threat of you being connected to the internet from a business risk management standpoint. Um, So you know, most of the owners we work with, um, they don't want, want to just check the SIP box. They're actually we're doing a lot more than what is technically required for SIP low impact. It starts to look a little m- bit more like what SIP medium impact requires. And so bringing it back to the control center level, um, and this is also applicable at the site. So a control center, if you have more than 1500 megawatts of generation that you're responsible for performing the generator operator function for and scheduling mm-hmm. outages, talking with transmission operators, within a single interconnection. So we're talking big I interconnection, the West versus ERCOT versus the Eastern.
0: Um, Inside the ISOs essentially, right? Inside the major areas. I mean, I know it's, I'm just saying for people to sort of contemplate what that means, it's kind of in a geographic area. Exactly, so it's it's not
1: quite the different ISOs because that's more of a corporate regional oversight structure, whereas when I'm talking interconnection, Western versus Eastern versus ERCOT, Those are physically separate AC systems. Yeah. Right. And so on the electric grid, just you know, from a physics standpoint, right? What happens in San Diego could immediately affect Seattle, Washington because that's all part of the same synchronous machine of the Western Interconnection. That
0: Western grid.
1: Yep. But what happens in Los Angeles, from a grid reliability standpoint, can't directly impact the eastern interconnection because they are not tied together, right? And so this is important because when NERC says this 1,500 megawatt threshold is the trigger for medium impact within a single interconnection, they're looking at a contingency rise. 1,500 comes from the fact that that's a traditional, you know, uh, uh, two-unit nuclear plant. Um, right? And they're looking at, okay, if we lose you know, major nuke, that's a big contingency we want to protect against. So they kind of went with that number. And then again, it's contingency risk-based. So they separated out what happens in the East versus the West versus ERCOT because they can't impact each other. So once you meet that threshold and you have more than 1500 megawatts of generator operator services in a single interconnection, you now are designated as NERCSIP medium impact applicable. And we won't get into the details, but just to put that in context, um, in the low low impact requirements, there's about let's call it 15 requirements/slash sub requirements total, about things that need to be done, checked off the list, controls implemented. When you go to medium impact, there's about 190 plus requirements, right? And so I just want to make a jump
0: from low to medium.
1: It's a huge jump, Um, and and that's important for two reasons. One. People understanding that that kind of trigger point thresholds exists um, because if they think the you know it's expensive or cumbersome to do cybersecurity for a low impact facility, there's some surprises and pain in for them when they cross to medium impact. Um, and just to be clear, this also applies at the generator level. So if we have our first solar site um, that is built that at the single site that is greater than 1,500 megawatts, um, it will be need to be sit uh, medium impact compliant as well. To be clear,
0: that because you know, oftentimes you have multiple PPAs, multiple sites from a business perspective that are co-located through a single interconnect. It's that interconnect size that's gonna define that, right? Not, not whether or not you got different owners for different pieces of it.
1: That's exactly right. And, and that's a good tie-in to kind of the point I was just making about ISOs versus the actual interconnections, right? We have these paper constructs versus physics. Right. And so when we're talking, and you're exactly right, PPAs, third party agreements, NERC doesn't care about that from a reliability and risk rating perspective. They're going to look at where, how much uh, generation capacity aggregates at um, a single point prior to being handed off to the off taking utilities responsibility. Right, so if you you know you have a uh, utility substation you're interconnecting to, and you've got five sites coming into different breaker bays in their uh, you know substation, and those five sites are coming through different gen ties and all of that. Those are electrically separate. They only become aggregated once it's the utility's problem and responsibility. But now let's say we use that same example. And there's a bus, um, you know, that, that the generator owner has responsibility for that aggregates all of those sites before a single genti goes and hands it off to the utility. Well, now that's going to meet um, the SIP2 medium impact rating because we're looking at this from an electrical contingency basis.
0: And does it, doesn't NERC also look at it from the perspective of how much penetration is on, on, on an individual trunk line or particular, you know, interconnect as well so that it, even if you've got different sites, if they're geographically close, you you can have NERC say, no, but we're going to apply these standards below. Like They have the right to say, we're going to apply the medium standard below 1.5 simply because there's so much on that section of the grid. Don't they have that right and capability?
1: So what what could happen there, it's not necessarily um, kind of congestion or close, but there are other trigger points. So Every definition and example I just gave is the rule of thumb, abbreviated one. There's usually, you know, five to 30 pages of caveats and exceptions to the rule um, that, you know, get is a whole nother discussion. But there's things such as remedial action schemes, black start resources. There's these other special designations that could apply to a solar facility or group of solar facilities that right out the gate those immediately increase, you know, the NERC SIP uh, impact rating. Um, Okay. Because again, because those facilities, if they're designated as those types of resources, their reliability and um, criticality to maintaining reliability in the system just went up, and that's why NERC says, "Well, now we need to apply more controls and protection because this site is even more important for maintaining reliability than normal."
0: Okay, so we're a little over time, but I want to cut. I want to close on a couple of things before before we say goodbye to everybody, but. You know, there's it's my understanding, there's different levels of services, and we use you guys to help augment our capabilities. I'm quite happy with GridSmee's services to date. But I do know there's different levels of services, not just available from you guys, but from the broader market. There's sort of the, you know, we'll sit back and monitor and let you know what's going on, and then there's the more proactive sort of services. You know, so the broader question is if you're an owner, if you're an operator uh, out there, if you're a developer or an EPC and you're building these, like, when do you need to start thinking about this like when do these things need to get done and then what are the differences between the services available when you're looking to procure them to secure your site to do what you can to make sure that you're ready for this sort of threat the threat that's out there today
1: yeah so i'll start with kind of that up front and what should be done being done at the you know development leading into epc construction phase um You know, you definitely need to make sure that whether you're a developer and whether or not you're going to be the long-term owner. When, you know, the EPC RFPs go out for bid, there needs to be specifications about what is expected and required from a network architecture perspective. What are some of the basic cybersecurity controls that um, the owner wants to see and needs in place? And again, at that, at that point, um, you know, we perform advisory services for owners. So we kind of usually act as a supplemental owner's engineer. You know, between our grid security um, team and our NERT team, we kind of fill and plug in these, these technical gaps that most of the traditional owners engineers out there aren't you know the best suited to perform you know detailed SCADA architecture reviews, cybersecurity, network architecture. Um, but I can't harp the importance enough of figuring starting to figure out those design planning criteria up front. Um, and just do not let every site become your a special snowflake. Setting a template um, so that you're getting the same colored rock um, or at least you know what colors you can choose from uh, working with different EPCs that's where we have a problem as the industry is everyone we we, have, we all know we have some misaligned incentives between developers epcs sure. and long-term owners right so we don't need to cover that's, that that's another episode as well exactly <laughs> right um but because of that um we're we're getting you know as cheap as possible as simple as possible networks built owners aren't putting enough rigor around no i need to see consistency here and what's happening now is an owner you know, portfolio of 25 sites There is zero consistency from a network architecture and cybersecurity architecture perspective, um, which makes scaling as a collective industry uh, very, very difficult because if every site's a one-off and the way we do access management there um, is different than the way we do access management at the next site and we have completely different network and server infrastructure so we can't share any spare parts between sites, right? We just have scalability problems. Um, because in order to do this at scale, you need to get efficient, centrally uh, organized and uh, monitoring capabilities and control capabilities because doing everything on one off site is too expensive. You can't do it that way. Um, and so then during the construction process, we also fulfill that owner's engineering role as working with the EPCs and the other SCADA integrator vendors on behalf of the owner. Doing detailed analysis, you know, evaluations and markups of those designs to make sure the owner's getting what they need. And then moving into, you know, once COD is approaching and moving into long-term operations, uh, we also support, support owners and generator operators as well, performing ongoing managed uh, security services and network operations. Um, and to your point, we have a few different fl- levels of service offering um, within those managed uh, security services. Um, you know, the, the two really basic ones without getting into to too much detail is the, hey, full, full outsource, we're acting both as your network operations center, your security operations center. We're doing uh, preventative maintenance patching. Um, we're responding to incidents as they may arise. We're handling provisioning VPN accounts for all your remote vendors that need access to a site. Um, so kind of really all of those core uh, functions that we talked about earlier. And then we have another flavor for those owners that are still under the mindset, well, security is just compliance. I I don't really care about security from a business risk standpoint. I just wanna meet the NERC SIP low impact standards. And so we have a much smaller offering there where we're cool, we can help check the box um, and make sure that those SIP requirements are met, but not do any of those additional fundamental controls that have not yet made their way into the SIP low impact requirements. And that's probably an important note to, to end on here is, all the recent events, um, there is a lot of regulatory movement underway as it relates to cybersecurity and electric grid. Um, you know, one of those pieces in, in motion right now is uh, the SIP three low impact standard is getting a revision. A drafting team at NERC has been formed, um, and basically FERC went and told NERC we need to go address a risk out there, and we need to update the low impact SIP requirements to include. Um, monitoring and controlling vendor access, um, being able to know when that access was initiated and being able to remove and revoke that access when it's no longer needed, right? So now looking forward, it's not official yet, but that's gonna mean that every low impact facility out there and solar, wind, and it doesn't matter really, resource type uh, needs to have an access management program. So how do you track who has active accounts? How do you provision them? How do you monitor that usage and how do you revoke? And That's gonna be a very, very large lift for entities who haven't started down that path yet. Um, If you have zero semblance of access management in place for your site, know that, I don't know exactly the timing yet, it's probably still two years out if I had a crystal ball in terms of going into enforcement officially, Um, but that's something everyone needs to keep an eye on uh, because it's gonna be a major change for most of the low impact solar sites that are out there today.
0: Yeah. So, so sort of final words here, and then let's let's wrap it up. We we've said a lot. We've covered a lot of territory here, and we've used a lot of uh, acronyms and words that are not necessarily in common parlance. And so, I kind of want to wrap this up a little bit. A- as you know, an operator, an asset manager, owners rep, you know, or just Services, like much like many of the our competitors in the marketplace, sort of have internal capabilities, and then we have resources like you guys, which we keep on contract at all times to help augment those those resources to make sure that we're always on top of it. And I was encourage owners developers, EPCs, to make sure that your operators, the people that are going to be running these plants have that sort of layered expertise and sort of understand these transition po- points between low and medium, the differentiation between the operation centers and the sites and what the different security requirements are. And if they don't know, have someone, a real expert, a subject matter expert, on, you know, on contract to help answer those questions. That's my takeaway. That's the thing I would tell people, like simplify everything we've said, make yep. sure you get the right people in early in the process and incorporate those costs into your model so that you know what those are early and and you're not going to be, you know, running into these problems down the line. But the last words yours, John. You uh, say the like top couple of things that people need to take away from this and no colds so that when we hit stop on this and people move on they don't think wow, I just lost 40 minutes of my day and I'm no closer to a solution. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to piggyback and harp on kind of
1: the point you just made, because made, I agree that is one of the most important takeaways here and where I see the most stub toes and strained relationships is owners going in and assuming that the operator has all of this network operations and cybersecurity craziness handled. Um, and we assume that until the, we move into COD and the first operational network issue pops up. And then who's who's got the ball? And the operator usually is like, "Well, I wasn't contracted to do that. You never even told me I was going to do that. It's not um, in the scope. Most times, not in the scope. I'm not. Yeah. You're not paying me to do this. And even if you were, I may not have the in-house skill sets or resources to perform this function. Because um, I'm a strong believer. We have a specialized economy for a reason. Um, you know, operators have a tough enough time in or job in real time making sure they are putting as many electrons on the grid for the owner as possible to make them as much money as possible. If you want them to, the owner also wants them to play help desk and network engineer and cybersecurity expert. Even if they were that special unicorn that can maintain all of that knowledge in their head and perform at a a high rate, they should be focusing on optimizing the electron performance of your facility right and so a lot of uh, now that we work a lot of operators are seeing the value where a lot of that nuisance or you know kind of tangential work that they were having to deal with out of necessity is taken off their plate and you know we're working alongside them from our operation center we're focusing on making sure the networks and systems those operators need to put electrons on the grid for the owner are available and secure behind the scenes you don't need to know about security. It's happening behind the scenes, but most importantly, they are available and up for the operator to do their job, and downstream, the owner makes as much money as possible.
0: Well, I'll tell you, we certainly do that. We make sure that we have expertise in-house, and we've got you guys backing us up. So, you know, with that said, John Franzino, CEO of GridSme, uh, expert in this field, and uh and great colleague here in the renewable industry. Thank you for your time today and your knowledge. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, can you can you just give a quick uh, you know, email or phone number or something to everybody? Yeah, customer service at me.com Perfect. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you for being a guest on Power Players. Thanks for having me, Mike. Much appreciated. Take care. Take care. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrgisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.